2 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've been with us, then you know that we've been going verse by verse on Wednesday nights through 2 Corinthians 13. You probably remember that after Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, um, he had some good news and bad news. Some people responded well to that first letter and some people responded with kind of a, a their chest push, puffed out and, and saying, you know, I'm not listening to that Paul guy. I mean, he's a weakling. Haven't you seen him? I mean, he's a short, scrawny guy. We don't, we don't care what he has to say. And so there were some that were false teachers, false apostles that were there in Corinth and they didn't want to receive what Paul had to say. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to number one, confirm his love for the Corinthian church. He wanted the Corinthians to know that he loves them and he does care about them, no matter what some may say about him. And number two, Paul wanted to clarify that he's going to come back and visit them. Now, as we read in chapter 11, we read about Paul boasting not in his accomplishments, but Paul boasted in his suffering. And that's an amazing chapter as we read through some of the things that Paul went through in his life in living for Jesus and living to preach the gospel and plant churches and spread the good news. And Paul says, it's my sufferings that show that I am a genuine apostle. It's not all these churches that I've successfully planted. It's not all these people that I've successfully led to the Lord. Those don't, those don't qualify me. What qualifies me as an apostle, Paul says, are my sufferings. Those show that I'm genuine. Look at the ways that I've suffered for the Lord. And then last week in chapter 12, we read about Paul's vision of paradise. Paul's vision where he was caught up into the third heaven. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, where Paul is saying of himself, he says how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. I love this. I love how Paul says this because Paul gets a vision up of heaven. And when he comes back to earth, he says, I can't tell you the things that I heard. They were too great. It's unlawful for me to repeat them. And he doesn't even mention the things that he saw because those far surpassed the things that he even heard. And so to me, I get real nerdy. You know that about me already. I get real nerdy on things. This is one of those things I get nerdy on. I think it's so cool that Paul was so blown away with what he heard. He doesn't even mention the things that he saw. Now, Paul also in chapter 12 spoke of the thorn that was in his flesh, the thorn that he prayed three times for the Lord to remove and heal him of. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And he, the Lord, said to me, Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so as we finished chapter 12 last week, Paul continues to boast, not in his accomplishments, but to boast in his suffering and to boast in his weaknesses, to boast in his sicknesses. And now we come to the final chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I've entitled today's message, Examine Yourselves. And in these first six verses, we read about Paul's warning. Paul's warning. Look at verse thir or chapter 13, verse 1. 
Paul says, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So Paul here is quoting an Old Testament law where if you were to be convicted and condemned of a crime, there needed to be at least two to three witnesses to do so. Well, Paul says, this is my third time I'm going to visit you. So, you know, we say third time's a charm or maybe we say three strikes and you're out, right? If you're a baseball fan. Well, that's kind of what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, hey, two or three witnesses, we can condemn somebody according to the law. This is my third visit. I'm coming to condemn. I'm coming ready to judge. And so get ready. Verse 2, Paul says, I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Pretty firm words by Paul. Paul is saying that when I come, you better be ready. You see, now is the time to repent while you're reading this letter of 2 Corinthians before I'm actually there in person. Because once I get there, it's too late to repent and be spared the judgment that will come. I won't spare you. Now remember, Paul is not giving this warning to those who are struggling in sin, but to those who are living in sin. You see, there are some in the Corinthian church, these false apostles, these false teachers who were rebelling against Paul's authority and rebelling against the authority of the Word. These are the ones that Paul was talking about, the ones he was warning. But for all of us, even though we are Christians, we are believers, we still struggle in our sin. You see, some days we feel like we do really well. And then other days we feel like we do terrible. And we're like, Lord, am I even saved? I'm so pathetic. And yet, that's struggling in sin. We're going to continue to struggle with our flesh until the day that we're in the Lord's presence. We're all going to struggle in sin. But there are those who are living in sin. See, for those that struggle, we want to genuinely do what the Lord wants for us. We want to obey Him. We want to do His will, not our own. We seek Him for His strength. We seek Him for His power. And yet we still stumble and fall sometimes. For those living in sin, they may say they want to do God's will. But in reality, they don't in their heart. And when they sin, they will make up excuses. They'll say, well, it's not really my fault. You see, it was, it was her fault over there. Or he did this, and that's why this happened. You know, we can recall back to the Garden of Eden where Adam says, well, yeah, I ate of the fruit, but she whom you gave me, you know, gave me the fruit. And she says, well, he, Satan, said this. Well, they're pushing the blame, right? And those that are living in sin... They push the blame. They make excuses for their sin because they don't really want to change. That's who Paul's warning here. And Paul says, for those that are living in sin, I will not spare you. And Paul is not coming with an iron fist to pound them to the ground so that he can be made right and them be made wrong. But Paul's heart, as we're going to continue to read about in this chapter, Paul's heart is for restoration. You see, he will not spare those who are living in sin because if you're living in sin, you're not genuinely saved. And you need to have some genuine rebuke, godly rebuke, with the heart of being restored to the body of Christ and being restored to the Lord. So Paul continues in verse 3. He says, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, 
who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. You see, there were those who were against Paul. They complained about how weak Paul was. And Paul warns that upon his return, if rebuke is necessary, they continue living in sin, then his rebuke will not be in weakness, but his rebuke will be in power. Verse 4, Paul says, For though he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. You see, when Jesus was crucified, many looked at him and they said, well, he's not very strong. He's he's just a normal average guy. He couldn't even bear his own cross all the way. He's, he's, He's dying in weakness. And yet three days later, Jesus rose again in power and in glory, proving that he was not weak, but he was setting aside his strength for the time. And so Paul's point here is looks can be deceiving. Right? In fact, when Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read in Matthew 26, verse 53, where Jesus says, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? A Roman legion was anywhere from four to six thousand soldiers. And so you think about how many thousands of soldiers could be brought down just if Jesus would ask. He has power. And yet he set that aside as he died on the cross. And so Paul is saying, look, just because I haven't rebuked you in strength before, just because I haven't acted like the authoritative figure that I can be, it doesn't mean that I can't. And I don't want to. I'd rather you still think I'm a weakling because you guys have repented and I don't need to rebuke you. But if I come back and you guys are still acting like boneheads, then I will rebuke you in power because I care about you enough to shake you and rattle you so that you can realize you need to get right with the Lord before it's too late. And so, verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So Paul calls the Corinthians to examine their own faith to see whether or not it is genuine. But we might say, well, how do we know if our faith is genuine? How do the Corinthians know if their faith is genuine? We read in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, where Jesus tells us, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people, they mention the many works they did in Jesus' name. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. They were doing good works. They talked about Jesus. They even called him Lord. And yet they had no relationship with him. They didn't know him. And more importantly, he didn't know them. In John chapter 6, some men came to Jesus and asked him a question. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. It says, Then they said to him, to Jesus, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. 
You see, they were focused on what do we have to do? What are the works that we need to do to be approved by God? And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about your work, it's about my work. Believe on the one whom he sent. That is the only work, if you want to call it that, that we are called to do. We're not saved because of what we know. We're not saved because of what we do. We're not saved because of what we say. We're saved because we believed in Jesus. And so when Paul says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine, then we need to look at our heart and see if we've really put our faith in him and began that relationship with him. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, Jesus, has reconciled. Because we who once were afar off from the Lord by his sacrifice on the cross and us believing in him as our Savior, he has now reconciled us to himself. That relationship has been restored. But if we haven't believed in Jesus, the relationship has not been restored. And therefore, Jesus would say to us on that day, Depart from me. I never knew you. But I, I went to church. I read my Bible. I, I, I did these good works in your name. But Jesus would say, but if you don't know me, then you have no relationship if you've never trusted in me. And so for the Corinthians, they were called to examine themselves. And the next point I have on the screen here is genuine faith rests on whether or not we've trusted in Jesus. If there's any doubt of any of us or any of us listening online, don't wait. Because we don't want to hear those words on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. We want to make sure we know today that our faith is genuine. We have asked Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. And we want to know and be confident that we are trusting in Jesus' work to get us to heaven. Not trusting in our own works to get us to heaven. Paul ends this section in verse 6. He says, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. So verse 5, Paul says, examine yourselves and make sure you're not disqualified. And I trust that you know we're not disqualified. In other words, Paul is saying, I know that my faith is genuine. I know that I'm saved. And I trust that you, Corinthians, recognize that my faith is genuine too. And now in verses 7 through 10, we read about Paul's desire. Paul says in verse 7, Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. You see, Paul desires the rebellious Corinthians to repent, to get right with the Lord and get right with the body. Not because Paul wants to be able to say, I was right, wasn't I? Not because Paul wants everybody to know, okay, Paul is the true leader, not these false apostles. Paul just wants them to do what is right because it's honorable before the Lord. That's Paul's main concern. He wants the church to do what is honorable and godly. Verse 8, For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Again, Paul says, I would gladly come in weakness, without rebuke, because you guys have made things right between you and the Lord. Then verse 8 continues, and he says, And this also we pray, 
that you may be made complete. Paul desired for the Corinthians to be made complete, or that word can also be translated perfect. Notice that Paul writes two letters to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and these letters are to correct the Corinthians and to teach the Corinthians. And yet Paul says here, and this also we pray, that you, be, that you may be made complete. You see, Paul doesn't just point them to the Lord. Paul doesn't just correct them and teach them. But then he also, behind closed doors, he's praying for their right response to his letters and his teaching. And as I studied this this week, that really just stood out to me. It's two things that we are called to do. We should both point people to Jesus, but we should also pray for their right response. You see, if we only point people to Jesus, but we don't pray for their right response, then we're forgetting that it's actually a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just us saying the right things or pointing people the right direction. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in their life and in their heart for them to fully turn to Him. And if we only pray and we don't use our voice to actually encourage and teach and point people to the Lord, then we're forgetting the fact that God, in His perfect will, wants to use us. And, and you know, we think about that and we're like, Lord, that's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, I've seen what I've been capable of. I've seen what I've done. I've seen what i failed to do. And Lord, you really should use something better. Something more consistent. You know, use the angels that have not rebelled against you. They're, they're better trustworthy than we are. And yet God wants to use broken people like you and me to point others to Him. And so God wants us to do, to do both. He wants us to point others, to teach them about the Lord, and then He wants us to get on our knees and to pray and say, Lord, I've done what I can trying to point these people towards you, to teach them your word. But Lord, it's got to be the work of your Holy Spirit. You've got to do this work. And I love that example that Paul gives us. Look at verse 10. Paul says, Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. That big fat word edification just means to build up. And so once again, Paul clarifies, this is my desire for you Corinthians. It's that you repent and you get right so that I can come to you this third time in gentleness, in weakness, not in sharpness, not in authority, not in power. I'd rather come as a weakling so that we can just be brothers and sisters in the Lord and I don't need to rebuke you in person. And Paul clarifies that with his authority from God, he says, it's for your edification, not for your destruction. I want to use my authority to build you up in Christ. I want to strengthen you in your walk with the Lord. And so once again, I see this as a great example for you and I. And I ask myself, when I correct others, do I do so with a motive of edification to build them up? Or do I have another motive? in my heart. You see, when I want to correct somebody because I see something that they're doing, I need to first check and make sure there's not that beam in my own eye, right? And if I have false motives, if I have a sinful, selfish motive, then I'm probably better off not rebuking that person, not addressing that person until I'm sure that my motives are now pure 
And my only concern is for this person to be brought closer to the Lord Jesus. That's the heart that Paul had. And he writes some pretty bold things. And yet that was Paul's heart. I just want you guys to be right with the Lord. I want you to be edified, to be built up. That's all I care about, Paul says. And so in verses 11 through 14, we read about Paul's farewell. Finally, verse 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I want to kind of tear open this verse here because Paul closes this letter with several commands. And the first command is become complete. Become complete. Again, that same word complete can be translated perfect. Become perfect. And if you're like me, you hear that and you're like, too late for that, right? (laughs) Too late. It can't be perfect. And yet, Paul is not trying to tell the Corinthians to become perfect by focusing on the do's and the don'ts. You see, we become perfect by focusing on the only one who is perfect. We focus on Jesus. We focus on Him. We abide in Him. And He will bear that fruit in our lives, making us more and more like Himself. That's how we become perfect. Just focus on Jesus and let Him continue to work and shape and mold our hearts. The next thing Paul commands is he says to be of good comfort. In other words, be encouraged. Paul's heart in all of this correction, in all of his boasting, in all of his rebuke, was not for them to see Paul as, okay, he told us so, he's right. No, he wants them to be encouraged. Did you know that rebuke can be encouraging? It really depends on the heart, doesn't it? I mean, as we read Scripture, we can read a verse and the Holy Spirit can just grip our heart and we're like, man, Lord, I've really been blowing it. Like, that verse just reveals to me a sin or something in my life that has not been right with you. And the Holy Spirit's heart is, it's okay. Give it to me. And I'll keep making you more and more like me. And so even in rebuke, we can be encouraged. And I think for most of us, we've had that experience where we've read something in the Word and we've been rebuked by the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, we're so encouraged because we're like, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord revealed this to me. His Word really is living and active. And we're so excited about that. And we can be encouraged in the midst of rebuke and correction. Paul then says, be of one mind and live in peace. You see, Paul desired for the church, the Corinthian church and the church in general, to be united. He wants us to be united. And yet, once again, the answer is to fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, we're not going to be united by trying to all be like each other. It's a bad idea. We're going to be united by trying to focus on Jesus. And as we continue to walk towards Christ, we're going to naturally become closer together, each other as well. I think of the, the, the scene of like sailboats all out on the ocean. And they could all try to follow each other around, but instead if they just all go towards that setting sun off on the horizon, and they could be way spread out, but as they continue to go towards the setting sun, they're focused on one thing. They're going to be brought closer together. They're going to be united. That's what unites us. 
I mean, you look around at the body of Christ and we are so diverse from so many different backgrounds, different personalities. And yet, as we focus on Christ, we're united in Him. That's Paul's desire for the church. Finally, Paul says, And the God of comfort and peace will be with you. Think about that. Paul says, The God of comfort and peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel that way. I don't feel like God and His love is with me. I don't feel like God and His peace is with me. But you know what? We're not supposed to be led by our feelings. We're led by faith in the Word of God and His truth. And so here, Paul says, the God of love and peace will be with you. And so we stand on God's Word and we let our feelings follow His truth. Eventually the feelings will come, begrudgingly sometimes. They'll drag their feet and the feelings will come. But we're going to stand on God's Word and His promises because there are days, there are seasons where we don't feel the peace, we don't feel the love. But we cling to these verses and these promises and we say, Lord, I don't feel it, but I know Your Word is true. I know that You are a God of love and You are a God of peace and I know that You are with me. You've promised to never leave me nor forsake me. You've promised to always be with me. And you've promised to give me eternal life after I breathe my last on this earth. And so we stand firm on His promises. And we rest in that hope that we have in Him. Paul says in verse 12, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now in our culture, that's creepy. Don't don't do that. Right? But in Paul's culture, that's just what they did. When I was in North Africa... The culture there, if you were good friends or family, you'd grip a firm handshake, you'd grab their shoulder, and you'd each cheek, right? And if you really loved them, you'd go back for seconds. You know, it's still weird for me, but that's the culture. And still, in places around the world, you know, they do that. Not me, right? Not, not most of us. And so for us, it might say, greet one another with a holy handshake and a, and, a, and a great smile. The point is, is Paul wants to encourage the church to greet each other genuinely and warmly. You know, when my wife and I and our kids moved here almost a year ago now, I think it was July 19th that we rolled into town, right after our short stop in Yuba for In-N-Out. Um, we came in, into Willow's. And the first day that we came into church that Sunday, we just immediately felt welcomed into the family of Open Gate. I mean, we, we genuinely did. And that's what Paul's talking about. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Be genuine in welcoming each other here. And that, that genuine feeling of being welcomed into the family of Open Gate, that's what I want everybody to feel who walks through those doors. Whether you've been coming here since the day it was opened, or it's your first time visit. That's what we want to feel. And that's the type of body that we want to be. Genuinely excited to gather together in Jesus' name. Paul says in verse 13, All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Did you notice that subtle reference to the Trinity? Look at it again, verse, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. One God, three in one. It's subtle, but it's right there. Now as we finish, you know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves as to whether your faith is genuine. Now I am not telling you to doubt God's promises. You know whether or not you've put your faith in Jesus or not. But I always think it's good for us to take a moment and examine ourselves. To take a moment just between you and the Lord in these next few minutes and just to seek the Lord and to pray and to say, Lord, is, the, is there a sin in my life? Is there something that I need to stop doing? Lord, is there something that I've been omitting? Something that I need to be doing that I'm not? And maybe it is, Lord, I know I try to do good works. I know I try to say that I believe in you, but maybe my faith has been more about my works than about your work on the cross. And so it's a little bit different tonight, but we're going to put on some background music, some ambiance music, and we're just going to be quiet. And you guys take a moment between you and the Lord just to seek Him. And after a minute, I'll close us in prayer. But here's that verse one last time. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? And that's so key. Jesus Christ is in you. You see, as you reflect in these next few moments about your life, you're looking for Jesus. Is Jesus in my life? And for those areas that we see Jesus in our life, we praise the Lord for Him. And for those areas that we look in our own heart and in our life, and we see a lot of us still there, a lot of flesh still there, we say, Lord, would you make more of yourself? Would you drown out the us, the flesh that is still there? So go ahead, bow your, your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to do the same and just take this minute to just seek the Lord.
doesn't matter what others say about us. Lord, all that matters is what you say. And Lord, for those of us who have put our faith in you, our trust in you, Lord, you look at us and you say, you're my adopted son. You're my adopted daughter. You're mine. And that's all that matters. We are known by you. Everything else is secondary. Lord, would you help us to not get caught up in our self-image? But I'm praying for myself. Help me to not get caught up in what others think or say. Help me not to get caught up in, in what I strive to do. not leave you with any uh, surprises, we'll be going into the book of Galatians next. And so that'll start next Wednesday. Feel free to read ahead and get excited about where we're headed. Uh, but we're just going to continue to go through word verse by verse together. And I'm just so excited to be a part of it with you all. So God bless you. Have a great rest of your night.